Welcome to this week's episode of the Sullivan and Sons Sports Podcast. I'm Seamus Sullivan. And I'm Mark Sullivan. It's been a while. We've had a couple of weeks off. We had, you went to Chicago one week, and then the next week was Christmas. Right. So it's been a couple of weeks since we've recorded, and a lot has happened. I know the one time we took, we had a couple week break, and not like anything happened, but we'll just get right into it, because a lot has happened. We haven't recorded since like December 14th, I think, or... I can't remember the date, 70, yeah, I, I don't know. But we hadn't talked about that Steelers, uh, I, I Patriots forget. Patriots AFC game? Yes. The, I forget, it was the tight end who caught the ball. I don't remember his name. But in my call, it's a catch. Here's why. It's pretty simple in my view. Their rule is makes a football move and catching the ball and he's going down and then he twists and extends his arm towards the goal line. To me, that's pretty clear. That's a football move. Well, and here's, I think the, the, the inconsistency that drives a lot of people crazy when you're talking about goal line plays and in, in goal line plays, in essence, once the ball crosses the line in a normal situation, running back, runs over, quarterback sneak, whatever. Once the, the football has broken the plane of that front end of the the end zone, it's a touchdown, and the play is dead. So even if the running back gets into the end zone, you know, that ball crosses the plane, and then the ball is stripped of him, the stripping action is null and void, if I understand it correctly, and it's considered a right. touchdown. I, I get your point. I would counter that with saying that, I think it is different for catch for a reception touchdown because if you look at a play where let's just say let's you know middle of the field guy catches it and then a second later guy smacks it out of his hand that's just an incomplete pass and I think that's the right call whereas if you start to say once the receiver touches it you know immediately in the end zone I, I I'm talking about in this case he he had caught it prior to going into the end zone. Right, and you're then, saying he had caught it prior to. Right, yeah. I, obviously, I think the a catch reason they said an end zone is is it you have to look okay. at it differently. I'm talking about plays that start outside the end zone and enter into the end zone. Okay, where if, what if, if, what if it, a guy if, caught it on the run, bobbled it into the end zone, and then had it slapped away? If it, I think you have to make the determination as to where he has control. Right. If if he has control of the ball prior to going in the end zone, you make the judgment that once it crosses, it's a touchdown. Right. If he doesn't have control in the end zone, then he has to get control, and it's still a live play until somebody gets control. Okay. I think I get what you're and, saying. Now. And so, because you were think, saying he had already caught it before even extending into the end zone, you were saying right. I I think it was okay. A, and and I get their catch rules, and I and I understand their catch rules. And that they don't consider that a catch, but I'm because I don't my, think they would consider that a catch anywhere on the field. If he had, let's take the the end zone out of it. If he was reaching for a first down, I think they still make the no call on the catch part because of the fact that it spun. What was it? It like it touched the ground and spun. Yes. That was the reason. And and I think you can. I I, I think according to those rules, it was not a catch, and I would be okay with it not being a catch even in the middle of the field i think it's on unf- you know those See, rules and that's probably why we need disagree. to be i say it's a catch because of the i say the act of twisting and stretching 
you know, he caught the ball, brings it about halfway into his body. I don't think he, I don't it from the angles we had. I don't think he brought it all the way to his chest, but he brings it in slightly, then stretches, then hits the ground, then it moves. And that's why I say that by their own rule, their own rule is this football move, which is already super uh, ambiguous. Yeah, that it's that's got to be a football move, right? Pulling it, it, it in and, and I then think stretching out again. I, I think there's a, there's a fair argument to made, be made there. When you look at how they, based on your case, I think that's a fair enough. Okay. I think you also can make the argument, which is what I'm making, is that the crossing the plane of the end zone changes the dynamic. I think he had, if they were just evaluating it up to the point that he crosses the plane of the end zone, it looks like a catch at that point. Right. And it looks like... He's completed the action, and that in those normal circumstances, that's the end of the play. But they've kind of done this combination platter when you've got a catch that goes into the end zone where they're still judging it all the way to the completion, which they don't do with any other any other end zone plays. You, you know, if you you're crossing, any other football if, plays? If you're, any other football plays where the play is going from outside the end zone into the end zone. At the point that it goes, if you're carrying it into the end zone, the play is done. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I also <laughs> think the rule is poor because everyone was like that. Really, was pretty take him away for this little eighth of a turn of the ball, yeah. and we we wouldn't really we'd probably still mention it. But the fact that they then went to they they lost the game because of their own stupidity. I guess whoever was calling the plays didn't watch the Super Bowl that involved the Seahawks and the Patriots. Don't throw the ball. At the you know five yard line with with very little time to go. <laughs> well, I, I, Ben Roethlisberger just made an extremely poor play, which right. is very uncharacteristic of him at that point. I, I you can't. I think the Super Bowl, you know, shouldn't dictate all your how football is played <laughs> from that point forward in those just situations. Against the Patriots. <laughs> right. I, I, I think that it was, he just made a, an extremely poor play at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's unfortunate. I, I think they'll come back and probably modify the rule again in the off season. And then another funny thing that happened in football. And I think this was a while ago. I can't remember. I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, but did you see the ref that used the index card to measure a first down? I did not see that. Yeah, it was, (laughs) it was really odd. It was so close to a first down that they, they stuck the stick down and you couldn't tell from the side and above. So then they had to like inch it over so that it was like right next to the ball. And then even then it was so like, you couldn't looking down on the ball. It was like, is it touching or not? So that's why he pulled out like a little piece of paper, an index card, and was seeing if he could slide it in between. Oh <laughs> and the NFL said that that's actually happened before recently. I think they 2013 it oh, happened wow. where a guy, same thing, used a piece of paper or something. And I, I don't remember that happening, but it, it I think this one happened on national television, and that's why I got more exposure. But I thought that was really funny. I, I think it's fascinating that they use the sort of what I would describe as antiquated measuring tools right. to, to do this determination. Two when, guys with a chain link. <laughs> yes. When you have technology where honestly, even for spotting the ball, they probably could use some sort of putting an electronic mechanism in the ball that goes from the tip to the, to the other tip 
Um, and you could always determine how far forward they were, had moved and electronically put some sort of beacon on the field to spot it on the hash mark, and it'd be so precise that... Right. But again, I don't know that they need it. it, is, it these circumstances have happened once this year and a half, and once in 2013. Yeah. But... I mean, I would like it because then it gets... It makes every single... You know, how many times has the... F- uh, imagine a spot on first down instead of first, I mean, uh, second and seven, you would have had a second and six and then you don't get it to play. I don't know. Right. I think you're right. The fact that we can track basketball players all over a court and, you know, which I think would be way harder to track than a football that it knows exactly what it looks like and where it would be. I think you're right. And the same thing when you think about the, the, uh, again, the, the same issue with the major league baseball and calling balls and strikes oh, there true, are yeah there are tools that are or th- there's technology that could easily be developed into tools for these sports to give them quick accurate precision probably even save them some i don't know if those guys get paid to do it or if they're volunteers um, who's that the the guys with the orange sticks and the you know the spo- oh. <laughs> the, the spotters the guy I thought the, you're talking about umpires I'm like they're definitely getting paid. no no yeah <laughs> this isn't you know <laughs> t ball <laughs> uh, you know so there's probably some expense you know anyways there's tool there's technology available that they could make precise tools and probably speed up the process as well but anyway. You, well, you wouldn't even have to measure it. They would know immediately first right. down or no first down. It would be down. like Madden the video game. Right. You know, which I I I would be all in favor of. I know that uh something else funny that happened was did you see did you watch the Cam Newton and uh when the Panthers played Green Bay, uh, this has gotta be two weeks ago as well. Uh, when uh Cam Newton played Green Bay, did you see the when they were lining up um, maybe 10 yards out, I think. And the formation they were in was shotgun with, oh, what's his name again? Christian, Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey lined up. And Clay Matthews was yelling out, watch the wheel route, watch the wheel route. Because I guess the Panthers had gone to it a couple times on scoring plays or just on plays in that formation. And Cam Newton heard him and responded, oh, you like that? Watch this. And they I can't remember what route they ran. It wasn't a wheel route. It was kind of like a... Over the middle on a break-in yeah, route. a little slant, you yeah. know, or a little in route. To, and they scored a touchdown to Christian McCaffrey. So I think Clay Matthews should have just shouted, watch Christian McCaffrey. Or Clay Matthews, yeah, should have just said, watch Christian McCaffrey. Don't, don't say watch the wheel route. <laughs> because he didn't run a wheel route, but he still scored on him. It, that is actually a very... Uh, that is a fun exchange, yeah. fun exchange. And the fact that I don't know if did they, uh, they must've, the, oh yeah, you said the audio picked it up. So it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know how they do the sound FX where players are mic'd up. Right. I think it was just the guys on the side with those bubble things. Right. Caught them. Which did you see that one play? Uh, Falcons. <laughs> I can't remember who the Falcons were playing, but I think it was Devonta Freeman was running and he runs out of bounds and he like bumps into this one of those bubble guys, barely, like it wouldn't be oh, more than the, he, like, he touched him with his hand. And then the bubble guy went flying, went backwards on his back. <laughs> like I think I did feet. see that. Yeah. I'm like, this guy, they, they should put him in the NBA. <laughs> He's a master flopper. That was hilarious. That was on not top 10. That's how I saw it. This, he ran into him at like one, maybe two miles an hour. And this guy went sprawling 10 feet with all his camera equipment. <laughs> I think he was a little bit larger guy. He clearly lost his balance. Yeah, just taken out completely. 
But uh, also involving the Packers, did you see how Rodgers went back on IR after coming back for one game? Yes, I, that, I read some things on that too and found it incredibly... Uh, first of all, I didn't know that that rule existed, that which basically says if you go back on IR for the same injury, that you should be released. And uh, so... The you Packers know. easily could just have switched the injury, though, that they put him on IR for, right? Well, and I think it really comes down to, yes, they could have if they were not going to be honest about the situation. But if they were going to be honest about the situation, what they were doing in the end ended up being protection for some lower guy on the roster. Really, like it was like the 53rd man. Because if they put him, leave him on the roster, um, if they can't put him on IR, he's got to be on the active roster, which means someone on that 53-man roster has to come off. Right. And if I was the NFL and had an honest discussion with the Packers I, and they realized their error, I would penalize them maybe their seventh-round draft pick. Okay. Know, because that's what they were doing. They were protecting the 53rd man on the roster, probably the equivalent of a, a seventh-round pick. Maybe i do it for next year or some something mm-hmm. after uh, – but letting them know, you, you know, you broke the rule and there should be some, I, I don't think it should be a significant, but some sort of no, penalty yeah. for doing it. I and thought it, it would have been funny if Aaron Rodgers suddenly was released. <laughs> People in a hundred years would look back on it and be like, why were the Packers releasing Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> I th- if they released him, don't you think they would have, well, it would have been fascinating. Would he, he probably would not have, I think he wouldn't have gone to another team. Yeah, You think I, he would have just re-signed with them for... I think he would have probably re-signed with them for the same contract. Really? You think he would have even honored I, I, the I don't, I don't know how it would have impacted a lot of other things, but I think he would have just come back and signed for the same contract. Because he's not I, – I can't remember. I'm going to look it up really quick. I know he's not the highest paid quarterback anymore because – No, he's he, not. Uh, Derek Carr is. Right. And so I I think um, – I uh, let's see – uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. He's not even in the top ten. It doesn't look like almost. Yeah, and I think the type of person he is, and you, his you relationship with the Packers, all that he would have understood what happened, and I think he would have just re-signed the same contract, everything else, and it would, it would have been a moot point. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I, I that's yeah. So I. Oh no! Here he is. He's number eight. I somehow missed him. He's number eight on this list. I, I bet you, because I bet you he would have resigned for more money. Because why wouldn't you? You're that. How the, much time? How much is left on his contract? I don't know. I didn't look. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, too. He's, think, getting, he's think, getting older. These injuries. I, I don't think he would have changed. The, I think he would have understood the dynamics. All right. This is just All me right. thinking out loud, but uh, <laughs> speaking I, my mind, I think he would have been. Hey. I'm not going to harm this team. Well, before we wrap up with NFL, there's one thing that I love, and I love. I I pointed out as much as I can whenever we we do our podcast when anybody in the sports world does something that I think is really cool. And this was Jadevin Clowney. He received uh, trash cans. I, I I don't. I never really understood if they were like mini or like full size, you know, 50 gallon trash cans or what, but he, he said Blake Bortles is trash. So Jaguars fans sent him trash cans 
I'm assuming through mail service, mm-hmm. and he filled them with toys and donated them because this this happened a few weeks ago before Christmas, and so I thought that was a really cool move by him to. I, I thought it, he he kind of right he he one upped them right and, yeah. and in, in a very very uh, uplifting manner. Right. It was just a very fun fun. Uh, it was cool, you know. Yeah, it was just I, really I, cool. I thought it was a really cool move. Uh, awesome way. He probably definitely. And granted, oh, there I was guess a, uh, it was the public relations professional in Jacksonville who who came up with the idea to send Clowny the trash cans. So, you know, she went to Amazon.com and uh, purchased she, some garbage cans. Did, does it say if they sent him to the practice facility or did she get his home address? She said. It sounds like she. Plugged in the ad- I don't know if she says plugged in the address. So I don't know if she put in the Houston Texans address. I doubt I, she would know assume, Clowney's. I'd have to assume address. the team address. Right. <laughs> Still funny either way. Well, here's something else I she thought. She said was- it was respectful. She didn't want to go after him personally. No, um, I think I thought it so. was hilarious because I think his comment is fine. Yes. I think he can say what he wants. Now, if you feel Blake Bortles is not trash, you might be offended by that. I I wasn't too impressed with him this year. And then he gets trash cans in the mail, hilarious, and then he uses them to help out families in his area, which is awesome, especially with uh, after that hurricanes and everything like that. Yeah, he builds, I mean, and, and I think he did it uh, through his own, his, oh, he did it, it must be, it sounds like a Christian organization, uh, Children at Mission of Yahweh uh, were the ones who got the uh, the toys, so... Yeah, it just, I, I know there was a lot of athletes. I think I saw Jordy Nelson was doing something or that that did toy drives or helped out for this Christmas. But I thought this one was particularly interesting. Yeah, because, it's just a great humorous <laughs> t- twist on it. So fun, fun loving banter. Do you know who Charlie Villanueva is? Have uh, you heard of him? Uh, He's an ex NBA player. Right. I, Apparently I, he played for a while too. Right. And I do remember him playing. Uh, I think he was a guard with the Knicks. Uh, so I. But I, it, you know, I think he was a middle row, middle of the road player. Not, you know, he was, certainly wasn't an all star. I, I feel bad for him because his house got burglarized, and you always hear about these professional athletes getting burglarized. I hear about people getting burglarized all the time. I'm like, you think you'd be able to afford ADT or something, right? But, <laughs> that, that, but I didn't even think of that. That's an outstanding point. But but. Uh, they stole his toilet, <laughs> which I thought was an incredible effort, unless it was gold-plated, which the fact that I didn't know who this guy was, I doubt he's buying gold-plated toilets. Why would you go through the effort of disconnecting a toilet and taking it? Yeah, that is just insane. What is a toilet, like 100 bucks or something? I mean, again, if it, they can be several hundred dollars if they're expensive, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then the part that makes it really funny is he's tweeting at Dallas PD because they still hadn't responded to his call like of, of being his home being burglarized. I guess they hadn't shown up to document it or whatnot, but he's like, look, they stole my toilet. <laughs> well, I, think, I love the fact that another Twitter user created the handle at stolen underscore toilet and responded to Villanueva's tweets by asking, Charlie, are you looking for me? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. But that is a really uh, that's a really bold move because it takes a lot of time to unst- uninstall it and carry it out. Those are not easy to uninstall right, or uh, to it just. And it, from the picture he tweets, it doesn't look like they just ripped it out. It looks very, you know, there's just a hole and then whatever the, where the water comes out. So it looks like they didn't just tear it off. It does look like they 
installed it rather nicely. Plumber robbed his house. <laughs> well, I saw, did you see Draymond Green? He's very uh, loud mouth. Yes. But I actually agreed with him for once. He says he doesn't like the NBA's t- the t- two-minute reports. Have you been, Have you? do you know what those uh, are? No. So at the end of the game, uh, it, there's some parameters for it. It has to be like within eight points or something. They'll do, basically they'll say, here's all the mistakes the refs made in the last two minutes of the game, which I think is horrible. I, the NBA is trying to be transparent, but I think you're just, you're almost uh, eroding your own product at that point and trying to be transparent and saying, here's where all the places where our refs messed up and kind of undermining and destroying the refs reputation, referees reputations as well. And his, his argument for getting rid of them, I thought was very, I thought it was an interesting point he makes. He says games are lost in the third quarter, not just in the last two minutes of a game. You lose it in the third quarter, the second quarter, the first quarter. I'm like, I never, a lot of times, like we were just talking about earlier with the Steelers, oh, they lost because of this play. Well, they lost because they were losing up until that point. If they, you know, scored more points in the second quarter, maybe they're not losing at the end. So I, I thought he was a really smart comment about saying, you know, games are lost through the whole game, not just the last two minutes, and they're stupid. And I actually agree with him for once. Well, and I think his point is well noted. If you're going to do that type of critique of the game, you shouldn't limit it to that to that four four minute stage. I also think that there's, you know, I mean, there's value in 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 the, the evaluating the referees and being transparent with it, but putting it in this narrow window, he, he's right because there might have been a series of calls that were missed in the second quarter or the third quarter that had more impact on the game than the last two minutes, and you're focusing on one portion of the game that certainly is the most uh, you know that is the you know that's the apex the climax of the game but isn't probably is rarely the outcoming turning point of the game well in terms of last two minutes the suns and this makes sense when you think about it the suns used basically you can't goaltend even on offense. So if a guy on your team shoots it, you can't push it into the basket. That's offensive goaltending, no basket. Well, on an inbounds play, the Suns coach basically instructed his player, shoot it like you're shooting a basket. And then I think he had Tyson Chandler. Yep. He had Tyson Chandler basically just, you know, whatever you need to do to get it into the hoop. If that's pluck it off the rim and dunk it, or just push it all the way in, just do that. And because you, you can't technically shoot a basket from out of bounds, it's not offensive goaltending to touch it while it's in the cylinder. And I'm like, that's very smart. It makes a lot of sense. It's not technically a shot since you can't shoot from the on an inbounds pass. Do you think the NBA will change that rule? I don't think they will. I think uh, it. This is the only time it's been used in years and years. Uh, I think. I believe if they see a pattern of that because happening. I would, I would, if I was a coach, I would instruct every inbounds, hey, just shoot it like you're shooting a three-pointer and then just have all your big men what, go and try and What's going to happen it. is you're going to have tons of big men around it and people just, uh, or someone guarding the big man, and they're going to go up before the ball gets close to the rim. They're going to front the rim and bat it away. 
I guess that's true because there'd be no defensive goaltending. Exactly. Because it's a pass. So you can bat it away. You you put a lot of, well, then that brings up an interesting, could you then stick your hand up through the basket and swat it away? This opens up a lot of a can of worms. I, you you could you could do that actually. But I think once the other if the but other I, big man. But here's the thing, too. right? If you're that that's a little too late. I wouldn't a I wouldn't want to be doing that because it's it's late in the process. And if someone is going to slam it home, me sticking my hand through the rim <laughs> is more likely to get my hand injured than to actually stop the basket. We'll have to see. I mean, I haven't seen it since, and this happened, uh, let's see, this happened, when did it happen? Like, um, maybe over, a little over a week December ago? December 27th. That's when it happened? So, yeah. a few days after Christmas, so at this point, it's almost exactly a week ago. <laughs> I, If I was a coach, I'd say every time, I'd put, uh, like, if what I, you, let's say... What I'm you the, could do, rather than having him stand there, is you, it, you could... St- you run like a pick and role exactly. play, yeah. Run a pick. That's run some picks. Let's just hypothetically say I'd have Steph Curry or Clay Thompson shoot it, yeah. And then I don't know who they're Zaza Pachulia, Draymond Green, <laughs> Draymond, Draymond Green could probably get up there. Well, Even I, Kevin I Durant, any you know. The, I haven't watched a lot of NBA since this happened, but I, I I would be using it all the time. I don't know why you wouldn't on any inbounding play. You would just well anything. It probably would have to be, I guess that is still kind of rare where you get an inbounds on your offensive side from, I probably wouldn't want to try it from too much beyond the arc in terms of whatever the top of the arc is called. Right. The top of the three-point line. It'd have to be in from there because then it's not too much further than a regular three. Yeah, because your your precision would go away farther out from there and you would need someone like a, you know Clay Thompson or Steph Curry to be throwing it at the hoop and uh you know and they had practiced the play too so you would you would have to spend some time practicing it to see if you could pull it off i think that the issue is it's it would be very possible to 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 slam the ball in you need to be fairly close to the basket and players can get a lot of height and at the point that they're doing this with any regularity, someone's just going to swat it away because they can get up higher in front of the hoop and just, you know, all they got to do is push it away. I, I mean, unless they, there's, excuse me, unless there's a very large arc on it. Yes, exactly. So then your precision also goes down here, loop this high alley-oop pass. <laughs> well, we'll see. I guess we have seen in a week. It, I, I haven't seen it tried at all anymore. Maybe the situation hasn't arisen, but... But no, I, it's not something like where we saw in football. I forget who first did it. I think it was Seattle Seahawks, where to block field goals, they oh, had an uh, athletic defensive back or someone running up to the line, jumping over the line to block a field goal. Well, I mean, that's, and then you start saw you started seeing that be repeated because it was successful, mm-hmm. and it was also very effective. You know, because it was successful, it was effective. Right. And so then the, the NFL said, no, we can't have this happen. This is well, very dangerous for players. Well, it's still legal, but you can't land on anybody or touch anybody, like like an offensive lineman. Yeah, and and that, in those cases, the offensive lineman would just stand up or put his hand up and touch him because then they would get 15-yard. I think it's a 15-yard personal foul penalty if they actually touch someone. But either way, they're going to get another free kick, and it'll be closer to the mm-hmm. to the field goal. I Yeah, I can't remember if I've... 
sometimes they still have been successful in doing it because they time it. I think maybe he's looking in between his legs. I think I've still seen it even since they've they've made that rule. Yeah, I can't say I have. It's, I think it's already a super difficult play because you have to be able to time the snap, which is right. It, it's much easier for a team to just change up how they snap the ball or the count they snap the ball on than yeah. to even have to stand up during it. But so I guess, you're, yeah, we'll see. You're, you're probably right. It's probably just happens at once. Maybe it'll happen again. Yeah, we'll just see if, if basketball <laughs> starts to adapt to it or, or if it is just a once-in-a-season sort of scenario. It was it was special because it was like with no time remaining. So in the, the cases, if somebody swats it away, it's – they, I think it was so much little or so little time remaining right. that it, you couldn't realistically inbounds it and get a shot off even. Correct. And that's why they did the whole thing because all he had to do was almost just it, just tap it down. Right, because he, the NBA has a rule about the number of tenths of a second. I think it's four tenths of a second that need to exist to actually get a, a shot off. And he was able to you know slam it home, which took less time. Because well, you keep saying slam it home, and I'm fine with that, but... If you watch the play, it's literally going in, and all he does is just barely touch it. Okay. It's not even like a full alley-oop. It's like it's it's very, very just like fingertip deflection mm. almost. It, and that's why I say it, it, it – I don't know. We'll see. We'll we'll get off this because it's it's rather boring. <laughs> <laughs> We've over talked that topic. We've we, we've we've dissected it a bunch of different ways. The we're moving on to Major League Baseball, and the Astros just won. Congrats to them. They won the World <laughs> Series. But just won in well, I guess October, November, right? Yeah, I, a couple months ago. It wasn't too long ago, and. I saw an interesting stat that Las Vegas Sportsbooks lost $11.4 million when they won because I guess the odds they had given and then it must have been the amount of people that had bet on it had they, – they, they, it's one of their biggest losses ever for baseball in a month. And so they were – had too many people betting on the Astros. And then I think they had given them – uh, favorable odds for people betting, which like, is, I don't is know what fascinating because usually the odds start to adjust because the book bookmakers want to have e- basically even money on either side, right, so they're going to make yeah. money on both sides of the deal. But it's it sounded like they also accounted for people who started betting on the Astros during the season as well, which probably was fewer. Most people probably make most of their bets right before the world series or in that, in that sort of mm-hmm. s- scenario. So, and then th- that, that's crazy that they lost $11.4 million on baseball in November, whatever. And the, the, the part that really scared, I don't know if it scares me, but I think it's funny is I'm trying to find it. They still made money, though. Where was it? Over the course of the year. They said it was... Well, over the course of the year, even, I think, in the month, because they, they lost all that money on baseball, but I think still in the month... Oh, they, yeah, they they made $9.8 million yeah. overall in November. <laughs> they lose $11.4 million just on baseball and still make $10 million. That's really sad Because most of the betting is on football. Yeah, it just... I, it, it is a... And here's the, the part about it is that people get so addicted to that and it, and it it's just unfortunate that they're 
you know, spending their hard-earned money and not spending it. They're wasting it. Yeah, they are. It, it, I just thought that was incredible because I was like, when I saw it, I was like, yes, you know, the gam- you know, the, the house lost because I don't gamble. And gambling, I think, in my opinion, is bad. <laughs> it, but, yeah, it's but, poor use of money. But, but I was like, yes, you know, the the I think the, the the evil people in my mind were losing. And then come to find out, nope, they still made $10 million, so they're good, <laughs> even though they, they had to pay out all those. No bummer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we, that's why they're staying we've in gone business. pretty long tonight. We'll end on we'll end on the a little with a little bit of hockey because it's not actually any NHL stuff that I've found very interesting. And I it's found, very little hockey actually as well. What's that? What you're going to talk about? Oh, <laughs> well, I'm I'm mixing up. You're talking about the fight, but I was going to start with our the World Juniors are going on right now, uh, and America just lost in the semifinals. So they'll be playing for the bronze medal. Oh, that's which too bad. Is, yeah, it stunk because if they had won, if they had beaten Sweden, they'd be playing Canada, and it'd be a rematch from last year, Canada USA for the gold medal. It'd have been really cool because I watched uh, the U.S. beat Canada earlier in the like group stage or round robin whatever you want to call it and they beat them in a shootout and i got to watch that and wow that was, it was really fun it was a really fun game to watch and i was like really looking forward to a canada usa rematch and where we to spank them obviously that <laughs> and get that nice. gold medal but and it would have been even cooler because it's in buffalo new york so it's in the u.s but they unfortunately they lost to sweden they still have a chance to win a bronze medal so cheer for them cheer them on and Good, good on them. It, it, for those that don't know what the World Juniors are, it happens every year, but it's for, I think it's anybody age 20 or younger, or I think it might just be anybody under the age of 20. I can't remember. So it's mostly college-aged guys, 18, 19-year-olds. Okay. So, and it, it's like Olympic hockey, but it's for, obviously, not people older than that age. So it's really fun to watch and cool to see, especially with the, with the, uh, NHL not having their players go to the Olympics, you actually uh, might see yes. some of these guys playing in the Olympics again because they have some really talented players, not just on the U.S., but all these rosters. And with NHL guys being not allowed to go, you'll see some of these younger guys have to play. And it, it'll be interesting to see if any of these guys get to play World Juniors and Olympic hockey. That would be cool. Yeah. And then we'll end on the only reason I even saw this and thought it was interesting is it involves a guy by the name of Chris D'Souza. And I saw that name and I'm like, I, I recognize that name and I can't remember why. And I looked him up and he is, he, I think he's still, I, I don't know how it works. He was in the Blackhawks system. He was playing for, I think he's played preseason for the Blackhawks. And then he's been playing in their AHL affiliate, but he's over in the Austrian league. So I don't know if his rights are still retained by the Blackhawks and I think they that they are. I think he's still technically with Like them. if he came back, he would he would have to sign Right, I think them. they still, you know, I think they still actually own him as a player. Like they could put him back. I don't know how it works. But he got into a fight uh, with a guy named Tom Zanoski, who I don't know at all. And that's not that unusual. Hockey has a lot of fights. But it was during the... Like they were interviewing players in between periods. And when I read this, I was like, oh, it's where they, you know, they talk to the guys by the bench, right? No, they were talking to them in like the hallway where like nowhere near the ice, nowhere near, you know, where the referees are. And you can't see it, but off screen, you kind of see like this stick 
come into the shot a little while this guy's getting interviewed and then the interview ends and they start fighting in this like hallway and so everybody's just watching them they're they're fighting for a good minute before anybody even goes to break them up and i think it wasn't referees it was it was like security from yeah, the yeah. Uh, from the ring, but I thought it was so funny because I've never seen something like this. Where guys, the closest I've seen was uh, I think it was John Tortorella, and I can't remember the other coach involved. I think John Tortorella went to the other coach's locker room, and the coaches like started fighting. But I've never seen uh, players start, and they were throwing punches. They, they, they were, were punching they were, each they other, were really going at it. It was it was really funny. So if you want to look that up, it's Chris D'Souza, um, of Tom H.C. Zanowski. Balzano, and Tom Zanowski of Medvaskak Zagreb. Oh, good, yeah, good that's luck. easy to be able to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> good luck Googling that. I'm not going to sit here and spell it out, but it's in the Austri- Austrian league hockey. Not to be confused with the Australian one, which I don't think they have. I, I doubt they have a professional hockey league, but Austrian league uh, – it's it's a pretty funny little video to watch, and I, I don't know how the the penalties were assessed. I know they got penalties, but I, I think they got yeah because they showed them at the like at the at the uh, end of that clip. They do show they're them sitting st- in the penalty box in the next period, right? Yes. <laughs> so I thought that was hilarious, but that's all we have for you this uh, this week. Uh, coming three weeks later than the last episode, and we're signing off. <laughs>